ladies and gentlemen, and we are one week away from 100, but that week is not today. We are one day closer to dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, how the hell are you? Well, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. How about yourself? I'm a box of fluffy ducks. So oh, what is nice. happening in the world of Bailey? Excellent. Hey, I just wanted to give you a little bit of feedback out there, everybody, right off the top of the program, because we have so much wonderful little nuggets of wisdom and truth to talk about in this episode. Hey, we got a little bit of feedback there at the uh, the beginning of the show I'd like to bring up with uh, Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain's uh, the documentary Roadrunner, how we talked about it last week. And, Quick question? Uh, yeah. Uh, have you seen it as of yet or still no? I have not seen it as of yet. No, okay. there's been zero time in the uh, Jason verse for this. So, but Just for, like just for said, context. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait to see it. I'll, I'm definitely going to see it. Anyway, the feedback from many of the dozens out there is that they're refusing to fucking see this film, no matter what. And the overwhelming reason, by far, is this deep fake AI vocal track uh that was made public uh before the documentary i think even was released uh by about a week or so and uh that was fucking that many of the dozens were like i don't give a shit everything after that i don't give a fuck about i don't trust the the entire content or the context of the the storytelling at all from that point forward even though you know like you discuss like well that's it's filmmaking. It didn't, he did write this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But what really struck me. And once again, I haven't seen the fucking thing. I'm going to see the fucking thing. Dave saw it. He fucking seemed to really like it. Thought it was a well-made piece of filmmaking, but uh, it is interesting to me, Dave, and we could get sucked into the goddamn conversation wormhole on this, but how much, our listeners, once they found out there was an AI fucking anything, anything involved with this documentary was like, fuck and that piss all over it. It was akin to fake fucking news to them. It, I mean, I'm just so surprised how strongly the dozens reacted to, no, I'm not fucking watching it. That's no, don't trust it. Don't want computers involved in his voice, his visage, anything. I, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting feedback to give back right off the top of the show. Sure. There's one very important question, though, that must be asked. Mm-hmm. Did any of them end that feedback with the words, fuck Dr. Cosby? We have actually been getting some fuck Dr. Cosby endings in our correspondence. And, it, you know, I'm going to go broke with every shot of bourbon I have to take after I fucking have to, you know, do the shot it's because it's become a drinking game for me. So, uh, yeah, but it, it is, uh, it's catching on, actually. It's really catching on, Dave. That just warms the cockles of my cold, cold heart, Jason. Absolutely. Now, as far as, as, as far as the content of said feedback, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's much ado about nothing because I don't think that's accurate and that's not how I actually feel about it. But I, I think it's an over... I think they're concerned about the wrong thing. When it comes to documentaries, my concern is not a line or two that is, you know, typed in with, with a computer, the, with any film, but especially a documentary that is supposed to be, you know, ideally based off truth and fact in someone's real life and personality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
The real danger is not any kind of AI. The real danger is editing. Because the filmmakers were transparent over the fact that they had done this for a specific part. Again, there's one or two apparently other moments and they wouldn't say where those were. Um, but they they were not making a mystery of it. And I did appreciate the transparency of the fact that it actually became the dominant story of the movie, which I think is unfortunate. But, however, it is not outside the realm of not only possibility, but things that have been done before for decades that if they had wanted to, they could have taken his actual voice and just scrubbed two different sentences together with such you know precision that you would never know it was something that he didn't actually say. News reports do this all the time. Mick Foley talked about it in his second autobiography. It was, I forget, I think it was 2020. Might have been 60 Minutes, but I think it was 2020, where they took a clip of him reacting to one thing and played it as his reaction to something entirely different and completely changed the entire context and meaning of what he was reacting to. Um, and he was told by WWF Legal at that time, we're sorry, Mick, we can't do anything. That is a perfectly, quote-unquote, legitimate form of reporting. So I think the editing is where you really need to be focused on and, like, was the editing true to his story, true to him, true to the people around him that knew him? From my understanding, that answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, and and Michael Moore is notorious for this. Like, I haven't well, seen... Well, that was, that was not to interrupt you like you do me all the time, but How that was... How dare you? How was, dare you, sir? That was actually brought up. That Michael Moore's name came up in a lot of the responses, like... His his legacy for documentary filmmaking has been tarnished over the last 20 years. He was absolutely so. highlighted as someone that has manipulated so much shit that his documentaries can't really be considered any kind of, you know, even factually based stuff because it's no. so slanted. It becomes it becomes a propaganda film. And the last one of his films that I ever saw was Bowling for Columbine. And I enjoyed that film at the time that I watched it. And I still think as a film, it is, you know, very heartbreaking and deals with very serious subject. However, there were things where he was talking about, like, how the media had reported on something concerning this case. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so this will be a little vague. But And it showed, like, as he's doing the voiceover, like, this, you know, publication reported that this and blah. And it showed the headline of this publication it was something really, you know, inflammatory and, and kind of irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he made that whole thing up. That was actually, like, the, that picture that he showed was a manipul digitally manipulated front page headline. What he was quoting was from what somebody had written in in the editorial pages. And it was on, like, some little print on, like, page, like, 10 of the newspaper or whatever. But he blew it up and made it look like it was the headline. Like, shit like that. That, to me, is the big enemy of documentaries yeah um and the bigger concern than any use of an ai voice when they didn't have the real voice available as far as i understand it from an editing standpoint this has been very true to him and his story and his life and people around him and their perceptions i have not heard complaints to suggest otherwise on that um so i would still recommend seeing the documentary and then decide for yourself whether you want to trust it or not absolutely i mean i'm going i'm definitely going to so many people out there so it's just a, a very fine uh piece of filmmaking that you should look at it and and it you know everything we discussed last week so i'm not going to go over that again but i guess the takeaway for me because you and i have oftentimes well, not oftentimes, but a lot of times, been 
sort of surprised by some of the feedback that we're like, hmm, we didn't really see that the listenership was going to go with that. How you talked about AI versus editing and, and things like this. We did get a couple people that, that said the following, that to them, this is their words, two different people contacted us uh, saying basically the same thing. They said uh, it's like putting words in the lips of a dead man. And while we know that these words came from Anthony Bourdain, who was in an email or had written it before, and they just put a vocal track to that. So, you know, he, he actually thought these ideas and said it. Uh, someone was like, that's a wholly different than saying the words, which is something that they took liberties with. There's sure. another, another person, one of these two people actually said it's the reason they didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody and they didn't like, they don't like that they referenced this new rock show What's the Young Rock or something that NBC does? Some television program about the Rock's oh, life. R- r- rock, Rock the Wrestler, not Rock the Music Genre. You threw me when you That's threw it, it in there. With so Dwayne, just so fucking Dwayne Johnson. Okay, okay, so his whatever fucking show he's got on NBC, Young or, Rock, Young yes. Rock. Okay, and and they're what they were trying to make the point of is that they've got dead people on these shows, but you're but you are portraying them with actors as if it's a factual piece of documentary or something for entertainment's sake. And who knows if Andre was that way, who knows if, you know, this person was that way or, or that Roddy Piper did this or this or whoever these fucking wrestlers are that they have on there, like King Kong Bundy. Um, they're using them as pieces of entertainment, but they're dead people. And you're using both their names and these recollection stories obviously that came directly from the rock and were embellished by Hollywood writers or somebody. So even more than the AI, it, it put a bad taste in people's mouth that you are doing shit on behalf of someone who's dead. Even if they're, let's say, you know, their family members or their estate gave you permission, that person is still dead. And like someone said with Bohemian Rhapsody, while, you know, is an entertaining film and certainly the music is goddamn fantastic as the number one queen fan here on the fucking planet, um, that it, it did not get the timeline correct at all with when Freddie got AIDS, announced he had AIDS to his bandmates and the where Live Aid was in it. So even though they correct. got stories correct or they embellished parts of the story. And by the way, Brian May and Roger Taylor gave their thumbs up on this motherfucker, and so did the Freddie Mercury estate. But it was not accurate to real life, and somebody referenced that too, saying, fuck that. If Freddie Mercury's not goddamn alive, they shouldn't be doing this shit. So I understand how you could never make a goddamn film or documentary again in some people's, you know, consciousness with good faith if they're if they're not there to help with it. That's a bit unrealistic, but at the same fucking time, I was just amazed as I was back in our goddamn Q episode you know, when people are like, no, 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 no. Some of that Q stuff's real. And I was just sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? Well, I'm not that outraged or befuddled with this, but I just love feedback that throws us a little bit of a curveball to where our listeners are like, no, fuck and that. 
you shouldn't have done that. Therefore, I don't care if the rest of the film is good. I don't trust the narration any further. And I'm, I don't mean narration just necessarily the voiceovers. I right. mean the narration of the film. The film narrative. Yeah. The, the, I will say the examples that you just gave, and I'm not attributing this directly to you. I, I understand not. some of that might have been from the feedback. But um, I, I do think that we are comparing apples and oranges a little bit. Yeah. I think there is a difference between... Um, a sitcom that is based off an interview with The Rock when he's running for president in the future. Like, there, there's already a lot of hyperbole going on there. In addition to the fact it's the pro wrestling business and they're talking pro wrestlers, like, you're seeing, you know, Roddy Piper, not Roderick George Toombs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I, I give... Young Rock does not concern me from the terms of his historical accuracy, so long as it's not taking some drastic turn where it's you know like for example um and i'll get to bohemian rhapsody in a minute because i think bohemian rhapsody falls more under this example that i'm about to give uh the movie cinderella man uh starred russell crowe renee zellweger is about james j braddock uh the boxer who ended up winning the the title and whole thing so based on a true story and he won the title from max bear max bear was a real guy he was a real fighter. It is true, as they mentioned in the movie, that he had killed a man in the ring. Um, what is not true is that in the movie, he very much is kind of like this cocky, arrogant, mustache-twirling villain who kind of reveled in the fact that he had killed this dude in the ring, when, from my understanding, and according to a lawsuit that was filed against the film by the Bear family, he was a really good dude and was you know, tormented by the fact that this other gentleman had died in a boxing match that Bear had been involved in. And they did not like the fact that he had been vilified in such this cartoonish, over-the-top way. And I think they were correct on that. I think if you were going to take that turn with the story, then don't have James Braddock fighting Max Bear. Invent a new name for this dude and then, you know, whatever. Um, unfortunately, like from a legal standpoint, I don't know what recourse there really was on that because, you know, First Amendment gets kind of sticky unless you can really prove uh, a defamation with intent, which is tricky when... It's somebody who hasn't been alive in decades and decades and decades. Um, now, with Bohemian Rhapsody, I absolutely agree. The timing was all wrong, and there, there were, I had a lot of issues with that film for that same reason, when they're like, it's based on a true story, and then they you know, take those types of liberties. I think the standard for fact should be higher on a documentary than necessarily on a based-on-a-true-story narrative. Um, now I might, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that's etched in stone and that that's the technical definition, but if you, if you show me two movies side by side and one is based on a true story and is about, you know, a flamboyant, say it was, let's say it's based on the life of Michael Jackson or something like, you know, a flamboyant kind of over the top, somewhat private character. Um, and then you showed me right next to it you know, a documentary about Michael Jackson. I would expect the documentary should, from an ethical standpoint, be a lot less uh, fabricated and a lot more, you know, there's there still could be falsehoods even that make their way through accidentally because people are complicated and people will have different perceptions of things that happen and whatnot. And there's not always a singular truth necessarily. Um, and people have different agendas in trying to push a particular narrative forward. Um but I think the standard should be higher for a documentary than a, than a based on a true story docu pick. That said, I agree. Bohemian Rhapsody was pretty egregious in some of its 
some of its, um, you know, usage of the, the timeline. And Young Rock, I don't think, falls into that because it's it's a sitcom comedy slash parody that I I don't really take seriously or look to for historical accuracy, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But the the what I do agree with the feedback that we did receive is that no matter what you or I or anyone thinks, the people that they are referencing with real names are not here to defend themselves at all with what you're doing with them. So sure. it's um, it's one of those things where I just wanted to thank the, the dozens out there because we so often are yelling at you about getting us fucking feedback, and you did. And it was just oh, like my love for Anthony Bourdain cuts through that shit, so I'm like, well, fuck it. I, can, I know the filmmaking process, too, and there's something in me that can just be like, eh, whatever, whatever. And I just cut to the, you know, meat and potatoes of the goddamn thing I'm watching. Um However, I did respect the fact that so many people were like, once we heard that, piss on it. And you're like, well, this is something that people in the filmmaking community really need to think about because obviously there is a audience out there that authenticity uh, really does fucking matter. And they don't want any AI shenanigans of any of any bit or any parts of the film uh, to, to compromise their belief in in the project or what they're doing and i just felt that that was an interesting thing to talk about the intro uh, the, the top of the show a thank you for your feedback because we fucking love it this is what this is all about but number two we have discussed this shit before um probably a year and a half ago maybe one of our best shows that we fucking did uh, and we were talking about th this emergence of ai just creeping into the fucking entertainment industry and how much of that is going, it's just going to be prevalent in every fucking way. But the words documentary and I, A, I, A, I deep, you know, fake vocal track just did not set fucking well with people at all. So I just thought, uh, interesting, fucking interesting because taking the pulse of people out there who let's say aren't filmmakers or haven't been the film universe like uh, like you and I have or some people listen to our show it's it's interesting just to hear that that they're like fuck and that so thank you very much for that feedback it's it's very appreciative yeah absolutely the the last thing that I'll I'll say on it is having the the subject of the documentary <clears throat> Being involved in the documentary does not necessarily guarantee that it's going to be more accurate, i.e. right now it's not a document. Well, yeah, I guess it is documented. They're doing a docu-pick. Um, I think it's for Netflix. Jason, you'll probably know um, on Hulk Hogan with Chris yeah, Hemsworth yeah. Uh, slated to play Hogan. Sure. You think anything that Hogan touches is going to be in any way authentic or truthful, especially when it pertains to his own life or his own legacy? Fuck no. So, well, no, um, I mean, I, and by the way, that's fine because at least you can look at the motherfucker and go, you're a line sack of shit. The, the issue is let's, let's take your, we're really getting sucked in the wormhole here, but it's an interesting one. Let's take this same thing. Let's say Netflix, let's say Netflix got the okay, uh, from Roddy's family, which uh, this is completely just now we're wargaming it and saying, yeah, you can make a, you can make a, 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 a film, you know, pick thing based on a true story of Roddy Piper, blah, blah, blah. And Roddy's not here anymore. Roddy's not here. He's been gone for, for a few years now. And we watch that and some things are good. Some things are bad. So it shows some of the things. 
I think that for a lot of the listeners out there, like, no, it's in fucking poor taste. Even if your family okays it, you can't even go back to the subject matter and say, dude, this is a lie or this is true because they're fucking dead. So the thing is, like, when you're talking about a Hulk Hogan pick, uh, you know, which obviously is going to be a big fucking thing. I put it up there with the rock thing. I actually watched one of the young rock episodes where they were sort of making fun of King Kong Bundy, not making one of his appearances in Hawaii because his, he was, they were kind of referencing it. Like it was so beneath him that he was using his mother was sick excuse multiple times. Now we, this is a minor fucking thing. But King sure. Kong Bundy is not with us, okay? And who? And to me, it's like, oh, he was a lazy sack of shit because he wasn't making his appearances, so he lied. Even on a minor fucking show with a minor fucking situation, there was an actor portraying King Kong Bundy giving this fucking kind of like, ha-ha, it's an excuse. I mean, sure. I, I think it's bullshit. So the thing is, I have to side with a lot of people out there like, I get that you have to make entertainment. I get that you want to make a documentary, but there is something going on out there that's a, that kind of reeks of our fucking, you know, remember old media by, by actual physical media kind of thing out there that's brewing in the air. Like fuck this AI shit and fuck this revisionist history shit of people who can't defend themselves. And I just think, that's awesome that there's at least this fucking tidal wave coming back. Like, for instance, if this Hulk Hogan documentary gets, it is getting made, when we watch the Hulk Hogan documentary, if there's any factual anything in it, there won't be. But if there is, Roddy Piper's got to be a fucking part of it. And if Roddy in any way is depicted as not the Roddy that we fucking know he was, which many times in Hulk Hogan's made up goddamn thing in his head, he's not, we're going to be goddamn furious. And the thing is, is it's, it's there. It, you just walk a fine line and it's okay. Yeah. This has been from the very beginning. This is how this shit's been. But also a lot of times, which we never even discuss, there are so many people for decades and decades and decades, even before us that got their history, that got their education, from made up film shit, made up film shit. Okay. Because it's easier to watch a two or three hour film about something that was historical than actually investigating and reading about the thing that was historical or even going to the subject matter that might still be alive. And then, well, you have it right there. People want to know about JFK. They go watch Oliver Stone's JFK. People want to know about Richard Nixon. Well, he also did a Nixon pick. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So Pearl Harbor, well, why don't we just go watch Pearl Harbor? It's it drives me nuts and always have that people look to a lot of a lot of history. And when a person is dead, that is also factual history, no matter if it was King Kong Bundy, Freddie Mercury, or Anthony Bourdain. People go to these things again and again, and it's on honestly, it's the film thing that outlasts even factual history that starts to manipulate people's minds of, well, that's what happened. If they want to know about Titanic, well, go watch fucking James Cameron's Titanic. What? What? So, I mean, there is something to be said about people going, motherfucker, keep this authentic and don't put words in dead people's fucking mouths. Jason, are you telling me that Jack and Rose were not real people? 
you know, I'm, I'm not even going to answer that fucking question. How dare you, sir? How dare you? That, that's what you took away from the Titanic tragedy. Okay. So um, one thing that I don't think can be whitewashed or glossed over or edited out of existence, Jason, is that the world is a dumpster fire. Did you know that? I did. Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is. Indeed. And not only uh, do we like our feedback, and where does that feedback go, Jason, at least for another week? Oh, my God. We hope so. I got another email from them today saying, get the fuck out of here. It's all gone to shit. At this point, Excite Mail, the Excite email is sending me emails that sound like Dr. McCoy in Wrath of Khan. Good God, man, get out of there. I mean, that's what it's like. They're trying to save me from some sort of radioactive death. But uh, you can send it. You can send any of your feedback to this little known barely fucking working email address known as ask dave and jason at excite.com because well god damn it it's it's still exciting yeah for one more week and anyway uh as i was saying that we we do like our feedback to end now with the words fuck you dr cosby Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. I will also accept a runner-up, and that is fuck you, Activision Blizzard slash fuck you, Bobby Kotick. Now, Jason, you and I did an entire segment on the absolute fucking toilet water that is the video game industry (laughs) several weeks ago. And damn, weren't we prescient, because now... There's all this new stuff. The state of California, to put it very simply, just so we're not you know, running around in circles on this, the state of California has filed a lawsuit against Activism Blizzard, specifically as well, um, two specific part people on um, Activism Blizzard's like executive board, two higher-ups there. One was a lead programmer on World of Warcraft. The other is like, the current like head of the Blizzard side of the company. Um, Jay Allen Brack is the second dude's name. And uh, for major, major issues with sexual harassment, sexual toxicity, um, gender discrimination, uh, discriminating against minorities, uh, all kinds of awful corporate behavior that has been reported for years, has been ignored for years, and the people responsible have been getting promoted for years. So now the state of California is suing them, and the company's response since the lawsuit was filed has been so fucking awful and tone deaf that their own employees, both current and past, almost a current and present, uh, both current and past, uh, over 2000 of them, I believe signed, a, a letter, a joint statement condemning the company's response to the lawsuit. And then just today, as of the time of this recording, there is an entire walkout from Activision Blizzard's Irvine campus in California, as well as a digital walkout um, online because there's still a lot of people that are still working from home in the the age of the the pandemic. Activision Blizzard has basically said, oh, well, this miscategorizes our culture. It talks about things that happened years ago. That means they didn't fucking happen because that's their pretty much defense. Oh, that happened in 2013. 
Yeah, what's your fucking point? Did it happen? Yes? Then fuck you, and I hope you lose every goddamn cent in this lawsuit. Uh, an article that you sent me, Jason, when you mentioned that this was something you wanted to possibly bring up, uh, is that in 2013 BlizzCon, which is their annual kind of industry event where they talk about, they bring fans in, they have a fan festival, they talk about things they're working on, things in development, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very big thing for that company. Higher-ups at the company had a hotel suite that they called the Cosby Suite, and a bunch of them took pictures with this gigantic picture of Bill Cosby. Specifically, they deny this, of course. They, oh, yes, we did that, but we didn't, we didn't know about the accusations against Bill Cosby. The accusations against Bill Cosby have been known for decades. They have been made for decades. They have been around since at least the 70s. And they had the Cosby suite where they were joking about bringing a whole bunch of women up, getting them drunk, and then sleeping with them, either with or without consent. Wow. Fuck every one of these people. Oh, my God. And when I say every one of these people, I'm talking about the executives and the people that are trying to whitewash it now and say, oh, this isn't who we are, this isn't our culture, blah, 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 blah. I'm not talking about the employees that staged the walkout or that are you know, vehemently expressing solidarity with victims of this behavior and that are trying to make their company a better place to, to work. I salute all of them. But to Bobby Kotick of Activision Blizzard, to J. Allen Black of, or Brack, excuse me, of, of Blizzard, and every one of these motherfuckers that participated in any of this that are now trying to like put out all these public statements that deny themselves of any culpability in it and just kind of like say, well, that's sad. I admire the people who have spoken out. It had nothing to do with me, though. Fuck all of you. This entire company should be just burned to the fucking ground. Jason, your thoughts, and then we'll move on. Well, I just think it's um, amazing uh, when you actually see that in this, what's it called, BlitzCon, BlizzCon? BlizzCon, short for Blizzard, BlizzCon. Okay, whatever. That This fucking convention that they had, there was an actual suite that somebody, some motherfucker, thought it was funny to put a huge-ass portrait of Dr. Cosby as Dr. Huxtable or whatever his fucking name was in the Cosby show in this suite and how many pictures there are of people just proud as punch taking a picture with this Cosby picture and it's just hysterical that they're trying to go, uh, well, uh, we, uh, uh, no, there's no we, uh, you ass wipes. The whole reason you called this room the Cosby Suite is so that you could probably date rape women in your fucking company. By the way, one of them, what, committed, joke about it. one of them committed suicide from the fucking goddamn toxic environment this company was in, in the treatment of female staffers. So, this fucking, I can't even, I don't even know what to say. I think what's very interesting is we are like, you know, we just have the, the sight. We've got the premonition skills. There was one episode called Time to Maim the Game, and then, which was about how toxic and toilet watery, as, as you wonderfully put it, Dave, which I think that's fucking fantastic. The gaming community, the gaming industry is, okay, with their workplace environment. I I believe the next fucking episode was the rapist and the artist and the funker and all that shit, the beast or whatever, at which we talked about Bill Cosby. So it was like back to back, we these episodes came out and then just today, you know, we're being referenced like, 
you might want to talk about this because, my God, it really sort of ties two of your episodes together that in honor of Bill Cosby, not his doctorate, not his entertainment status, but the fact that he raped a lot of women, Activision actually had a suite named after him. Well, you can't get any shittier than that. I mean, this is just, wow. You don't even know where to fucking start here. And honestly, for these CEOs, I think we just need to slip them some quaaludes and uh, have them pegged by these women. So I I just, I I really don't know what to say, Dave, other than fuck all y'all. And uh, you simply need to be disinvented. I'll say I'll say this the the photos from the quote unquote Cosby suite with the the big massive picture that Jason is referencing that they clearly went through great effort to have printed out because that thing is not something that would just come out of a stock printer like on a you know an eight by ten or whatever the hell like this thing was massive uh, you can Google those look those up they're online they're all over the place uh, I encourage you to do that and then also. Uh, Jay Allen Brack, I keep fucking up his name because I give no shits about the man, and he could be shot in the head, and I would be perfectly whatever about it. But anyway, so he put forth this um, really self-aggrandizing bullshit statement where he was talking about, like, Gloria Steinem was the patron saint of my household, and I always blah, blah, blah. Like, what the fuck? Like, I would read it, but I don't want to put our audience to sleep. So anyway... Uh, that's recent. That statement that I'm referencing was in the last, I believe the last two weeks. Uh, there is a video from a a convention from, I believe 2010, where both he and one of the other people named specifically in this lawsuit that's currently ongoing in the state of California, they are on a panel and a fan who is a female fan asked them if they would be willing to put female characters in their games that did not look like they had just come out of Victoria's Secret catalogs. Because, you know, World of Warcraft is one of the big ones. And, like, you know, it's all very, you know, skimpy attire. And, you know, everyone knows what those stereotypes are. This is on YouTube. I encourage our listeners to look it up. These fuckers go out of their way to try to humiliate this lady who asked a very legitimate question from a very sincere place and they purposely went out of their way to try to make a joke out of it and to humiliate her. And then this fucker now is trying to be like, Gloria Steinem was a patron saint in my household and I don't stand for blah, blah, blah. I really cannot overstate how fucking awful all of these goddamn people are and for how many decades they have all been continuously rewarded for it. Jason, is there any final thoughts on that, or are we good to move on? I mean, I'm, I'm really all about this Quaalude pegging thing I came up with. That's really all I'm thinking about right now. Maybe that's something you could do on your private webcast. Alpha J, Midnight Tonight. Uh, so on a slightly more positive note, Jason, childhood is dead. I don't know if you knew that or not. I, I sure as shit did, my friend. It's way fucking over. But on the good news, nostalgia remains alive and well. And this week there was a trailer that I have a feeling we may disagree on, Jason. But there was a trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Don't shrug your shoulders at me. You 
And um, I have to say, uh, I mean, this movie is something that I've been very much looking forward to because it's a direct sequel to those who don't know to Ghostbusters 1 and 2. Um, it brings back a lot of the the legacy cast. Paul Rudd is also in it, who I think is, is fun as a performer. Um, it's a movie I'm very much... It was the one I was most bummed that got bumped uh, when everything closed down in 2020. Like, that was the movie that I was most looking forward to that then got pushed a year. So uh, it comes out, I believe, November of this year, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's around Thanksgiving. They brought out a new trailer for it this week. Um, I am very over, over overjoyed by it. I'm very excited to see where this goes. Um, we do get a, a brief glimpse of uh, Annie Potts uh, returning in all of her glory. And then, Jason, despite your insistence that it was the voice of Peter Venkman at the end of the trailer, uh, it was the voice of Ray Stans at the at the end that really kind of hit the whole thing home. I'm excited to see this movie, man. I thought the trailer was great. I am very much looking forward to it. Uh, Jason, your, your possibly wrong opinion. So Dave Baudry's uh, assholey revisionist history of our own personal exchanges. What? Uh, yeah, fuck you. I have a documentary Dave, Dave, that flat yeah, out shows sure. exactly how this conversation Sure, goes. absolutely. AI deep fake fucking vocal track. The, the thing is that Dave t- said, have you seen the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer, the new one? I said, no. But everyone around me who's a fanboy fucking nut, which is most people around me are like, but there's an appearance of Ray at the, at the end. Well, I hadn't seen it. That's all I knew. And so I said, Dave, I, I understand Ray's in it. He goes, not Ray. I'm like, oh, okay, well, whatever. So then I watched it and it's clearly Ray Stance, Dan Aykroyd's character at the end. You could tell it's his voice. He's in Ray's occult bookstore, the whole fucking thing. And Dave's like, no, it sounds like Peter. Sounds like Peter. No, I was Rickman. talking about Janine, Jason. Whatever. You're the same person who confused I'm Renee Dupree with Renee Paquette. Well, that's a, but for a lot of listeners out there, they're like, who gives a shit, Dave? And so do I. So the thing is that we actually consulted with the fanboy guru Buddha. Joe Baca, which set us straight, and even said that at the end, you could see the Revelations quote on Ray Stance's Dan Aykroyd's arm uh, that he uh, made uh, so popular in the first Ghostbusters, the the only real Ghostbusters, the, the first film. But uh, let me just, uh, after we get all that out of the way, because Dave's an asshole and I just proved it, I want to also what? tell you about the trailer. Now, I have seen parts that they're showing again of this Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer. And all I can say is, you know, if you wanted Stranger Things, the Ghostbusters edition, well, I guess we're going to have it. So, yay? I guess? I'm hoping that, you know, they've got the, they've got Dan Aykroyd and they've got, you know, Bill Murray and some people in there that I actually want to fucking see do stuff. But uh, it really... There's no way to get around this, and I know Dave's excited. And listen, hey guys, news fucking flash, I'm excited too. It's just I've been burned on fucking nostalgia being recycled so many fucking times from my childhood that I just have no fucking hopes left to give, okay? It's not no fucks left to give, no hopes left to give. So I'm hoping that I'm wrong, but when you watch that fucking trailer, if you are a fan of Stranger Things on Netflix, there is no fucking way you cannot look at that and go, someone watched Stranger fucking Things and went, well, uh, how about we do Ghostbusters like this? Yeah, sounds good. Matter of fact, even cast that kid in there. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, Bob. 
That's what it totally fucking looks like. It's just Stranger Things as a trailer. So I hope there's more comedy than what I'm seeing in the trailer. I hope there's the original cast that I give a fuck about and not these fucking kids from Stranger Things, literally from Stranger Things. Uh, and yes, I did enjoy the little tiny Stay Puft Marshmallow Men running around. You get to see, you know, a lot of the special effects uh, definitely throw back to the, the original uh, Ghostbusters. But I'm not saying that I'm not going to see it or that I'm not happy that there's some Ghostbusters shit happening. I'm just saying I've been burnt so many fucking times on our childhood being, you know, freshened up and sent back out to the masses like this is going to be a fucking thing again and then it's not that you're just like but there's just no way of looking at it not knowing that netflix is stranger things absolutely 1000 percent influenced the making of this movie but jason call it fate call it karma call it karma i believe that everything happens for a reason uh, if, if we had to do a tie-breaking vote on uh, opinions about the trailer, is there oh. one that just so happens to be like readily available? There is one that's readily available, and it's How right here. How did I know? Well, you, you might have been prepped for that. All right, this is from Joe Baca after he gave us the lowdown on who was really at the end of the fucking trailer, asshole Dave. And Joe Baca it says... Ray, it was Ray, Jason. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. I 100% expect to be disappointed by whatever they do in this film, but I'm still hyped for it. What you said about us already having our time with these franchises, I've said that about the Batman movies, and now it's time to let the kids enjoy whatever shit they get is absolutely correct. But anytime anything from our childhood is repackaged and used to manipulate our emotions, it works every goddamn time. And I am such a damn mark for this shit. I mean, I saw a leaked photo of the Ben Affleck Batman riding a bat cycle for the new Flash movie. And even though I hate Ben Affleck's Batman, I still marked out over it. So, I mean, he's basically saying the same thing. Like, we want it to be good. We want it to be so fucking good. But, you know, it's probably going to be uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. So, there we go. Jason. As someone who is tired of having nostalgia dragged out and using, dare I say, weaponizing your childhood against you in order to make some extra moolah, um, I understand you watched a new Masters of the Universe series recently. Am I correct? You are correct, my friend. What'd you think? Eh. Oh, do you want me to actually? He's talk not the about best play-by-play man in the business for nothing, folks. Okay, He-Man Revelations, Master of the Universe Revelations on Netflix. There's some good stuff about it, folks, and a lot of you asked us to cover this because you know I'm like a huge fucking He-Man mark. I mean, maybe the largest one. So I mean, I just I have to talk about it. Part one. Can is I do the- one? I'm sorry, Jason. One very quick. No, question. you're fucking not. What? Um, I'm assuming you watched it with James, correct? I did. Did James enjoy it? He did, but I can get into that. I can get into that a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So do I recommend it? Yes, I recommend it for watching it. Here's the deal. If you're not a Masters of the Universe fan out there, you might actually fucking enjoy it more, quite frankly. You might enjoy Kevin Smith's uh, He-Man here. The thing is, it's not a reboot. This is not like the Cartoon Network's He-Man that they did, what, 15 years ago. This is supposed to be a continuation 
of our childhood, 1980s He-Man, um, all adulted up and some Dark Knight Returns stuff happening to it, which you might really enjoy, but I can get into that. Let me talk about it real quick so we can go, go on, because I know a lot of you wanted to hear about it, but let's just move on. Um, the good stuff about this series is that Orko, the character of Orko, who is the court magician, who is a little sidekick, a uh, magician who fucks everything up all the time, lovable character in He-Man, finally gets his motherfucking day. Kevin Smith gets Orko, this character, so well done, I have to just take my goddamn hat off to him. There's even scenes that made me tear up, very emotional he gets this character better than anyone's gotten him before. That's really good. Evil Lynn, which is the female sidekick to Skeletor, is the best version they've ever fucking done. As a matter of fact, my new fetish list, she might be on the top of it over the Baroness from G.I. Joe at this point. They knock it out of the ballpark with Evil Lynn. Man at Arms is still everyone's favorite goddamn character, very obviously. There is... Great, great animation. Visually, it is spectacular, and I can't take away from that. And there's really, if you're a Motu, that's Masters of the Universe fan out there, there are so many throwbacks to the toys and the original artwork from back in the early 80s. It's unreal. Only real Master of the Universe fans would even understand what I'm saying. They're, they're breaking out characters, toys, sets, shit like that as backdrops in the actual show. That is, it's this wink to fanboys of the Motu universe. It's absolutely fantastic. Now let's get to the bad. And some of the bad, in my opinion, is very bad. But I will not give spoilers because we all know you're pussies about spoilers. Um, it's very, very woke. There are things going on that I just have to roll my eyes and go, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. And that's really all I can say. I can't say much more than that. You need to watch it. But it's so woke in certain areas that you're just like, it almost takes you out of the experience, you know, like an AI uh, deep fake vocal track. Kevin Smith, love Kevin Smith. We all love Kevin Smith as fanboys, but he's really hitting some cheap heat. This is a wrestling term for an overused gimmick that kind of worked at the beginning, then just you kept hitting the button. And he's doing some cheap heat in it where he goes to his bag of tricks again and again so that by the fifth, sixth episode, the tricks he's pulling out in this cheap heat, there's not much weight to it anymore. Mark Hamill, who is one of the best vocal voiceover actors of all time here, is Skeletor. And while that sounds like great fucking casting, if you're a fan of Batman the Animated Anything, all you can fucking hear is the Joker. Skeletor is the Joker. Because Mark Hamill's voice is only so... You can only do so many fucking things with it. And you're just hearing the Joker. And it's almost extremely jarring to hear the Joker all the time in, in He-Man. I mean, you're expecting Harley Quinn to pop out of, you know, right behind him out of nowhere and uh, beating the shit out of people with mallets. Um, there is a lot of modern Earth human phrases that would not be, it's not necessary or it should not be prevalent on Eternia. Um, you know, like that tracks and heaven and hell and shit like this. And oh yeah, they even use no glove, no love in it. Uh, I'm not even, I can't even make that up. So that's some bad shit in it. And hopefully in part two, some of that gets better, but I don't know. Um, one of the things that a lot of people couldn't stand about the show 
is that Tila is the main character, not He-Man. I have no fucking problem with this at all. The Tila character is fantastic, and I think they give her a lot of good stuff to do, good motivation. It, I mean, I think it's a fantastic uh, move to make Tila the main character for what she's doing in this. So anyone who's worried about that, I can tell you from, from my point of view, no, nah, it's good. And let me just talk a little bit more here. If you view this Masters of the Universe um, series, The Revelations, as a Elseworlds. In the comic book world, we have books that are called Elseworlds, where it's like in a parallel universe with the same characters and just slightly off. It works just fine. It works just fine. But as how it's marketed as a continuation, it does not work at fucking all. Kevin Smith is pulling a lot of aspects from a comic that he actually did. It's a Green Arrow storyline that he did uh i believe with oliver queen and he's pulling a lot of elements out of this and reusing it for the the, the he-man show once again just seems kind of cheap heat gimmicky lazy stuff going on and i love kevin smith i'm not trying to kick the man in the balls he's very talented but it just seems like a little bit of laziness here on on his part but can i recommend it yes i can is it what I think a lot of Master Universe fans thought it would be, no, it is not. As a matter of fact, the Cartoon Network and the two or three seasons they did 15 years ago got a lot of shit a lot better, actually. And that's saying something. So that's my review of part one. I can't. I wish I could tell you guys more. I can't without actually giving away spoilers, particularly about the woke stuff that I talked about. Um, I just, I can't. You guys got to watch it. And then, by the way, get that feedback back to me and say, I didn't agree with that. Or these are some of the things I thought about it. So that's my review on the bastardization of uh, further parts of my childhood. So am I correct, Jason, that it sounds like if we were going to assign a number that you're giving it a solid four out of four ten. Four out of ten. Four out of ten. <laughs> now, Jason, we've talked a lot about revamps, remakes, reboots, and the like. If the dozens are interested in original content, the dozens are interested in a show that had not been made previously, might I make one very small dare I say, innocent suggestion. Yes. Job guys on YouTube. We have premiered on YouTube and we need all the eyes on it as we can. Season one playing in its entirety worldwide. Just look up job guys on YouTube. Digital myth is the YouTube page. You can find it, but if you look up job guys, you should find it very fine there. And also, uh, there is a blooper reel that is also currently uh, available on said channel to add a little bit of uh, comedic timing to your day. There's also a behind the scenes that is in the making that should, I believe within the next week, possibly be up there. So there are some uh, extra features as well that even if you watched it on Prime, you will find some new content there for your your viewing pleasure. Awesome. Sounds good. I can't wait. Everyone needs to watch this. Matter of fact, I saw the trailer. It's a good trailer, my friend. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, last thing in regards to remakes, reboots, coming back to life. Uh, Jason, it's sounding like CM Punk... And Brian Danielson could be on their way to AEW. Um, B, 
before we get into that, is I believe there was some sort of feedback you wanted to go into before we hit that, or can yeah. we go right in? No, I just, real quick, I just want to say, hey, guys, thanks for that feedback. Steve and Lima, the great Steve Lima, we love you. You're my favorite Canadian next to Bret Hart. I just want to tell you that thank you very much for that feedback. He loved our um, segment on commentating last week he said it was fantastic and so many people were were coming out and said you know the same thing and it's unbelievable the goddamn jim ross marks out there like there's just no one that even comes close so many people talked about uh bobby heenan jesse ventura and and vince even vince mcmahon got a lot of you know, shout outs for being like what he did. He did well. Um, some people said it was time for, for Jim Ross to call it a day, which was odd. Some people came out and said, you know, his best works behind him. And sometimes it seems like he's phoning it in at AEW, which is sort of like kind of how you were describing Bobby Heenan from WWF to WCW at times. So that was interesting, but at hands down, Jim Ross wins the uh, the fucking Golden Mike Award for just being the best of all time. But Steve Lima actually said, hey, everybody you said was amazing. I'd like to throw out two recent ones, Excalibur and AEW and Matt Stryker and Impact and previously was a commentator for Lucha Underground. He said both of them are fantastic, uh, that they really have found what they are supposed to be doing here. And uh, they've they've lent a lot to the storytelling of matches he's watched on on both of these, uh, these or in both of these organizations. So, and I have to say that, yeah, Matt Stryker uh, and Vampiro were fantastic when I watched Lucha Underground. I thought that he did a great job. He was like a, to me, like a younger Vince McMahon. He, he really did a good job with what he was doing on that. But Steve Lima said, you know, I be remiss in this feedback if i didn't tell you hey just give them a shout out too because as far as some recent work some work that's happening now they're they're the best ones in my opinion so matt striker and excalibur i thought striker was a really good fit for lucha underground i haven't heard um most of his work in impact i don't doubt it's probably of similar quality uh vampiro was a little too dude bro for me as far as which i mean essentially i think is just who the dude actually is that's who he is yeah so vampiro i wasn't a huge fan of his commentating i i thought it was interesting how they wove him into some of the storylines they were telling and stuff but as a commentator i could have done without vampiro um i do agree striker i thought for the most part uh, did a very good job with lucha underground i don't doubt he is similar in impact uh excalibur i'm really hit and miss there's times where i think he does a good job and then there's other times where he just is bleach in my ears so uh, I'm, I'm not in total agreement there but i mean you know different uh, different tastes for different people certainly not saying that uh, steve is wrong and you mentioned of course jason that, that steve lima is canadian correct yes that's correct you know what is also now available in canada oh jesus job guys is on youtube and is now available in canada for the first time ever so if you are a canadian citizen by all means sorry jason i, I just i just couldn't help myself yeah, I know. You just can't, can you? Uh, at any rate, uh, thank you for that, Steve. And I am please watch Job Guys as your reward for that feedback. But you were talking before we got into all of that as to what was going on in the wrestling universe that has given me a fucking stiffy. Yes, Punk and Danielson. Again, Brian Danielson, not Daniel Bryan, because Daniel I'll Bryan fuck that up in this conversation. I'm sure you will. As a WWE-owned uh, trademark, I'm sure. Whereas CM Punk is not, because Punk trademarked his own name a long time ago. Uh, so, there are rumors, Jason, and as much as I can tell, they seem mm-hmm. to be pretty consistent 
that both Punk and Danielson are both signing or have already signed with AEW. How true do you think the rumors are? If they are true, how big of an impact, if any, do you think this has? And how do you see them getting used moving forward if, in fact, they show up in that company? Oh, my God. So much to say. So much to say. And we are out of time. But uh, go ahead, Jason. Let me tell you, if this is accurate and all signs are pointing to yes, the fucking Ouija board is pointing to yes, the Magic 8 Ball is pointing to yes, Dave Meltzer is pointing to yes, if this is accurate, well, well, I mean, that's it. That My, my hopes and dreams are coming true. I, like it, It's like Witches of Eastwick with me. I say something on this show and it fucking comes true. AEW signing CM Punk and Brian Danielson, I'll never get that right again in this fucking conversation, is fucking amazing. This is like, in my opinion, at the height of, let's say, the Monday Night Wars, if somehow somebody in WCW signed Bret Hart and fucking... Shawn Michaels at the same time they debuted at the same time and Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff weren't there to fuck it up. This is how good this is going to be in my opinion. CM Punk coming back to any organization, whether it was New Japan or it was fucking WWE or it was AW or wherever he decided to come back to wrestle, that is newsworthy a fuck enough, okay? CM Punk is now 42, 43, some shit like that. And to have this man back doing what he does better than so many motherfucking people out there in this art form, in our fucking sport, is just hard on worthy. To get him back in this ring, the wrestling ring, to perform again, that's newsworthy of itself. The fact that it's AEW, oh my God, oh my God. Then on top of that, you get... Brian Danielson also fucking signed and they're both probably going to appear in September. Well, I I just don't I don't even think I have words for the first time ever in our wrestling segment because WWE can suck the biggest fattest dick of all time that because they're losing the potential to have that talent. And we already know that this is going to be happening because they're shutting down their merchandise. They're not even mentioning these two performers at fucking all. Tony Khan has obviously got the lock on these two. And I am not lying to you guys out there who are just AEW fans. And believe it or not, Dave, I didn't even know this was possible. There are some people that haven't watched wrestling for fucking years until AEW started back up again. And that's all they've consumed. They never saw CM Punk at his finest. They never saw, you know, Brian Danielson at his fucking finest. And we have talked about these fantasy matchups that all I ever wanted was to see Daniel Bryan, now I'm speaking of the WWE character, and CM Punk to fight each other over an extended period, maybe six months to a year, in an all-out goddamn Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels feud. This is all I ever wanted to goddamn really see for years. And they just didn't hit at the same time. By the time CM Punk was on his way out, Daniel Bryan was coming up, you know what I mean? So it's just... It's just, to me, this missed opportunity, and the worst thing in entertainment or life or anything is missed 
opportunity. And here we're going to have the opportunity to have two of the finest performers in the last 20 years of professional wrestling in the same organization at the same fucking time. And for all of you that did not see these two men perform in WWE, you have a treat coming of biblical fucking proportions. And the fact that CM Punk could fight Kenny Omega and these things can happen now is like breaking out all your action figures and just playing all goddamn day with them while drinking Woodford. This is going to be the greatest fucking thing that's ever happened. It's going to bring so many new eyeballs to AEW. And it is, and I'm not making this up because it's an overused fucking phrase, a game changer. This is a game changer. It is no different than when WCW got Hulk Hogan to sign a contract or brought Hall and Nash over from WWE. It is that kind of fucking game changer that's happening. And WWE is going to have to either respond or fucking die. And in some of our text conversations, Dave, you actually said, you know, it's not like they're going to put WWE out of business. Now, that's not what I mean. I mean, from a creative standpoint, there is, if you're a wrestling mark like Dave and I are, there's going to be no fucking comparison. In my opinion, this is it. If you ever needed a reason to start watching pro wrestling again, it's now going to be AEW in late August, early September. Get the fuck ready. Now it's they've got all the chess pieces to win the fucking game now. I'm I'm beside myself. I'm so fucking excited. Now here's the question. Uh in the short term, I don't doubt that there would be a huge spike in viewership numbers with even one of them, especially Punk, because he's been gone from the business for so long. Whereas Danielson at least was seen fairly recently, still at a very high level. But, you know, the, the audience hasn't necessarily had as much of a chance to miss him as they have with Punk, especially the way Punk had left the business. But in the long term, uh, do you think AEW can use them effectively? And do you think it is possible that really anybody at this point with the state the business is in can actually elevate the numbers to any long term success? Or do you think it's just a temporary bump? I don't think it's a temporary bump. We've had a few people, including Steve Lima, that is a, uh, one of the people I respect the most with his opinion about pro wrestling, right up there with yours or Omar's or, or you know that inner circle of wrestling marks that I really listen to what they're saying, saying we are on the cusp of a new golden age of wrestling. And when he says it, he's not talking about necessarily, I don't know, numbers or merch or shit like that. I think what he's really, what they're all talking about is booking, storylines, actual wrestling, the, the, what with the the art and craft of pro wrestling. You know, they're getting some of the younger Ganya fa uh, faction into fucking wrestling again. I mean, it's just I don't know. It's like my balls tingle with this kind of information because it's just getting ripe for good booking and AEW. There's a lot of criticism that it's run by wrestlers. No fucking company should be run by wrestlers. And I totally 100% see that, okay? Uh, however, uh, the business should not be run the way WWE has run it for fucking years, maybe a decade, 
Okay, so anything is better than what we've been seeing, anything. And if it's going to be long-term success, it's got to start with the substance. You've got to have a good story. You have to have good performers. You have to have good material. It's got to be the steak, not just the fucking sizzle, okay? And when you've got that kind of grade A prime fucking beef coming to your restaurant, okay? You got CM Punk, you got Brian Danielson rolling into town, Man, you simply cannot get a better a better duo of performers that are coming to town, okay? So if there is the possibility of seeing a storyline or a graphic novel that's going to be played out, it's getting ready to fucking happen now. And you know how you said a lot of people miss CM Punk, and goddamn do we. Fuck all this MMA shit. Fuck all this writing comic book shit. Uh, that's great for you, wonderful Phil Brooks, we're, this is great. But what he's done better than anybody on this planet for a long time is the stories he was allowed, when he was allowed, to tell in the ring. But I also miss Brian Danielson. I fucking miss him. And, it was, and it's not a visual thing. It's him being booked correctly and having a hand in his storytelling, both of which in their contracts give them some power over their creative, okay? And like you look at CM Punk when he did the Straight Edge Society storyline, that was CM Punk wrote that motherfucker. And that was a strong piece of storytelling that he did during those moments. So just to have the yes movement back, just to have, you know, this CM Punk back as like the hero of heroes in wrestling. This is going to be, I can't, I'm just, I'm elated at the promo cutting that's going to get done. Honestly, not even the fucking wrestling. So I, I think that over the, if there is success that can happen over the long term, you simply can't load the cannon any stronger than they're loading it here right now. Uh, I'll give a thought and then a question. The, the thought is, First of all, a lot of times you don't want wrestlers in charge of their own creative for reasons no. you already kind of alluded to. Jason Hulk Hogan is a prime example of that. However, if you were going to give two wrestlers control or more control over their creative, I can't think of two better guys than CM Punk and Brian Danielson because Punk has been known as being you know difficult at times, but not out of a sense of him not wanting to put people over or not wanting to make other people look good or at the expense of his own ego or whatever. It's just, you know, he's generally kind of grouchy or has the rep as such and also just cares very deeply about what he does. Does, but it's so he may disagree with somebody about how a story should be told. But unlike Hogan, it's never been a that's not going to work for me, brother kind of mm -hmm. you know, it's never been out of a sense of self entitlement like that, at least as far as you know, we know. And then meanwhile, uh, Brian Danielson has always been known as being selfless when it comes to like he's some guys got their shots in WWE because Danielson vouched for them and really like, um. You know, Ali was one that he really liked, and Kofi was another one that he really vouched for, even though Kofi had been around for so long. But as far as Kofi ascending to a, you know, a world title match at WrestleMania, apparently Brian had a lot to do with that. So I do think in those two cases, that is the exception to the rule in a bit, as far as them having a say in what they're going to be doing will actually make it better as opposed to impairing the product. Uh, also, if you want to, if you want a case study in how AEW can utilize someone better than than WWE has, Exhibit A, Sting. 
um, say what you want about you know Sting or how he's been booked. He's a hell of a lot more interesting in AEW than for the most part he ever was in his brief run in in WWE, where they just made him fodder to Triple H, which is what they did at one point to Punk as well and to Brian as well. So <laughs> it comes full circle. So that's that's that. The last question I have before I think we are done for the week, Jason, is there a danger with Punk and Brian coming in around the same time? that they could actually distract from each other as opposed to if it was one of them as opposed to both? That's a possibility, obviously, but I'm willing to accept that because when you t- when you say the words, and this is going to get real hokey and a lot of people are going to be fucking rolling their eyes, but when you say the word professional wrestler, okay, wrestler is what you are doing okay for a for for what you're physically doing or what you're assigned as what you are i guess here on this planet right professional is the key that's the key word and these two men when they are doing exactly the things that we love them doing are so fucking professional and i'm talking about cm punk too CM Punk cut a pace for Vince McMahon out of professionalism when he didn't even need to, when he didn't even want to, even with his grouchy ass behavior, which is why we love him. Because even though he can be a dick, God damn it, he's a professional dick. Okay. I can fucking relate. And Brian Danielson, my God, is the rest. You know, people say Seth Rollins is like, you know, wrestling Jesus. No, 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 no. Brian Danielson is the wrestling Jesus. Okay. Like he, he leads by his example of professionalism, this man. So to have two people roll in at the same time, I think they're going to have enough respect for each other to give each other the room and also to lead, to let it just keep brewing, keep brewing, keep brewing to maybe a year from now. We see the two of them square off after they've already told very good stories with the existing roster of AEW. I, I, let us put it this way. If these two men can't do it, nobody can. We really don't have a hope for mega talent coming from WWE and actually moving the meter in a correct way with a new organization. So I have nothing but hope for this and I hope it goes well. I don't think it's just a gimmick. I don't think it's just a payday. You've got two men that are going to walk in and they're going to want to fucking work. They're not just there to pick up a paycheck. They are going to want to tell the stories they have not been able to tell for 10 years. Do you think they will be brought in together as part of the same angle? I don't know. I think that CM, I think that CM Punk, it would be, in my opinion, even though it's a hot shot thing, I think it would be foolish of them not to include him in their trio of Chicago venues coming up in late August. I obviously, you know, yes, he's chick magnet punk, but he's also Chicago made punk. And I, he is Chicago's God. And I'm not just talking wrestling God. He's an icon in Chicago. So not to introduce him during this time, I think would be foolish, even though it might not fit with the booking, uh, not to sound like Vince McMahon, but I really think, and then Honestly, I think that um, just to wait two or three weeks later and introduce, um, you know, Brian Danielson to the 
Chicago to the New York market that'll be happening right after that. And the two or three uh, venues they have in New York might be the better way to go. Uh, and obviously they're going to, there, there's no way it's, it's too big of an elephant in the room not to reference each other, but is it a thing where one of them's in the ring and another person comes out and cuts a pipe bomb on them? I don't think that that will happen. I don't think they're, I don't think they're that stupid to do that, but I mean, it is, it is what it is. You've got, you've really got Superman and Batman arriving to AEW at the same time. So there's no way out of the fact that this has happened, but you got to give them their own comics before you do the world's finest together, you know? Right. And, uh, Jason next week is episode 100 of one day closer to dead. So what is, what is the plan? My man, well, I was thinking about for an hour and 15 minutes, me seeing how many bottles of champagne I can go through. I think you already knew that a long time ago. At any rate, I, I'm excited as fuck, but ladies and gentlemen, we have no goddamn idea what we're doing. But I'll tell you something, if you want a little piece of history and you want to, you want something, uh, some freebie gimmicky shit from uh, One Day Closer to Dead, please contact us wherever you are in the world, Paris, Argentina, Spain, St. Louis, wherever the fuck you is, please send us your name and a mailing address to this wonderful email address that I have to put gasoline inside the computer and crank it to get it to go. It is as follows. Ask Dave and Jason at excite.com because well, God damn it. It's almost dead. And the one thing we can promise is next week, Jason Bailey will be premiering the new email address for the next hundred episodes. And on that note, folks, let us know what you would like to hear, listen to, have us do for episode 100, because that's what we got coming up next. But in the meantime, I am Dave Beaudry. And I'm still your Jason Bailey. The Vanilla Godzilla, and we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today. So until episode 100. <laughs>